We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How do you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Work, family, friends, a million pressing social issues and an expectation to be on 24-7. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit the reset button. That's when you reach for an ice cold Coors Light, the beer that's made to chill. Listen, there's a lot going on in Green Bay right now, and I feel like we could all use a moment to chill with a Coors Light. See, Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's literally made to chill. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. Perfect for a moment to unwind. Coors Light is what I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in their all-new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado, and as always, celebrate. Twenty minutes a day, three hundred sixty-five days a year. This is the Pack a Day podcast. Hello, everybody, and welcome into episode 986 of the Pack-A-Day podcast. I'm your host, Andy Herman. You can follow me on Twitter at Andy Herman NFL. Joining me is the one person that I would most want to be talking to during draft season, and that is, of course, the one and only Ben Fennel. You can follow him on Twitter at Ben Fennel underscore NFL. I say that he's the person I most want to talk to. I mean, if you wanted to bring along like Daniel Jeremiah or like bring back a Mike Mayock to talk draft too, I'd certainly be happy with the more the merrier, but uh, always great talking with Ben. Ben, welcome back to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me back on. It's great to be welcomed back on. We're sitting here early April. I can't believe we're sitting here with just a uh, under a month to the draft. Pretty exciting times. We're through free agency. We're pretty much through the pro days. Now it's time to really uh, finalize all our thoughts on the draft and put it to bed. It is, which is what we're going to be doing today. But I'd be remiss as we're recording this literally just moments ago, um, Sam Darnold was traded from the Jets to the Panthers. So, Ben, what was your uh, gut reaction to the Sam Darnold trade to Carolina? Well, you guys are going to get that reaction live because this is the first I'm hearing of it coming right (laughs) in from uh, doing some yard work here on a beautiful spring day, hopping right on the podcast. That's pretty interesting. Uh, I wonder what the Panthers kind of thought about their position sitting at eight in the draft, a little bit in no man's land right now, as far as getting that quarterback. Um, I'm sure they were trying to field what Atlanta would take to get to four and Cincinnati to five to maybe get one of those top five quarterbacks. 
Sam Darnold gives them some really nice security. They have Teddy Bridgewater. They have a nice developmental piece and Will Greer. They like PJ Walker. Suddenly it's kind of a nice QB room that if you have to roll with those four heading into camp, I think Matt Rule might be okay with it. Yeah, it's an interesting uh, dynamic there. He gets reunited with Robbie Anderson, which, you know, those two connected well. I think that's a good thing for Anderson. He seemed to do a little bit better um, with with Darnold than he did with uh, Bridgewater last year. It seemed like the Panthers needed to go in another direction. The early reports were that they were trying everything they could originally to get Deshaun Watson. Well, now that situation is insanely clouded for a variety of different reasons. Um, Same thing, as you mentioned, it sounds like they weren't really able to get up further in the draft and feel great about the quarterbacks that would potentially be there at pick eight. So um, they kind of pivot, go with Darnold. I still think Darnold has some potential and some upside. I think, what what is he, 23 still at this point? I mean, he's still crazy young. Um, I don't know about you, Ben. I wasn't insanely high on Darnold coming out. I liked... Um, I know for sure, I'm trying to think back. I, well, I liked Rosen better than him, which is a nightmare in, in hindsight, but I know I like Baker better. And I think I had him and Allen and Lamar kind of very similarly graded, but um, I'm not sure how you felt about him coming out, but uh, I still think he has upside for the Panthers. Yeah. I'm not willing to throw him in the trash just yet. I mean, he was a top 10 pick just a short couple of years ago for a very good reason. He had a lot of upside, a lot of Ability. He was really athletic, had a strong arm, played a lot of good football at USC, got caught in kind of a deep quarterback class with a lot of movement with Baker and Josh and all those other guys. You have to remember, and I think it's important for the five that are essentially going to go in the top 10 this year, you typically go to a bad team. They're picking in the top 10 for a reason. Not everything's going to be sunshine and rainbows. Some quarterbacks drown in those situations. Some get drowned in those situations because of all the crap around you. And some just don't make it out into the clear. Um, So you have to always remember you're going to a bad team. They're bad for a reason. So you have to, you know, always remember that you may not be put in a great position. And Sam Darnold clearly wasn't. And looking back on what he was asked to do and the supporting cast, it wasn't a great scenario. I'm happy for him to get a fresh start. And hopefully, you know, there's a, you know, brighter days ahead for him. I root for everybody, Andy. Every draft prospect we're talking about, I don't root for anybody to fail. I hope everybody turns into a Hall of Famer. I have no vested interest in seeing any of these kids fail, even in kind of their, for lack of better words, their second football life, like these young kids go through so fast nowadays because so many people want to hit reset right away if you don't get that flash of success immediately which it doesn't happen that way in green Bay. We've had more than a few case studies of seeing a guy struggle out the gates into an all pro. So it's just another reminder to say a little patience goes a long way too. Yeah, especially at the quarterback position, which can just take time to develop. And again, Darnold was still very young when he came in, still has some upside there. So going to be intrigued to see how that works out for Carolina. Last, uh, when we talked, Ben, right after the season had ended, um, we were kind of talking, you know, season in review, And you had mentioned something that kind of stuck with me. And we were talking about, you know, if if the Packers could have, you know, back the Jordan Love selection. And and your quote at the time was something to the effect of, if you could either go back and redo picks in the draft or just go back and redo the NFC championship game against Tampa, you'd rather just go back and replay that game because, and I don't want to put words in your mouth here, but uh, the gist of it that I got is you thought Green Bay had the talent and the people in that room to go and compete with any team and potentially win that game. And you'd just like to have that game over rather than second guessing potential draft picks. Well, it's, it's more interesting to me now because as we sit here on April 5th and you and I haven't had a chance really to discuss this, but, um, the Packers basically are kind of doing what you said, Sands for Corey Lindsley and, you know, maybe a Jamal Williams or Rick Wagner, things like that. 
they've basically said this off season, you know, we're not trying to bring anyone new in. We're, we're, we want to run this back and we just want another opportunity with those same guys to, and David Bakhtiari who was injured at the time to go back and, and do this over because we think these guys can win a championship. So uh, I'm curious as we sit here on April 5th, do you feel like this was the right direction to go in for green Bay to kind of bring back the band, if you will, and to try one more shot at a, you know, trying to get past the NFC championship game, or are you a bit skeptical with what's happened in in the offseason so far with not adding any additional talent. No, I think that's fair. And I think that was kind of my sentiment in the way that Packers have kind of addressed the early uh, start of free agency and this offseason. That's kind of their view as well. Um, now, clearly, the team will not be the same next year as, you know, we have an injury to a franchise left tackle and the center left in free agency. And there's going to be some changes. But just in a collective sense, I was OK with the roster we had. And I think most of the Packers community approaching every game we felt confident. We felt like we can beat everybody. So as much as you can play the revisionist history and the hindsight and to say, well, what if this player was on the team? What would it have looked like? You know, if you win a game by 30, you add an extra receiver. Oh, maybe we could have won by 35. <laughs> you know, it's just nitpicking the speculation of saying, well, what if we had him or him or him? So I think it's kind of a fair sentiment to say, you know what, the 2020 Packers, that was an elite team. That was a competitive team week in and week out. Did they always play well? No. That's why you play the game. That's why this game is so unpredictable and um, has some of the best competitive balance in any professional sports. Because if you don't show up and play, you'll get your pants pulled down and embarrassed by anybody in this league. It could be the worst team or the best team. So I love that about sports. Um, but it makes every Sunday that any given Sunday, you know, uh, uh, predicament, which you kind of just have to live with. And I was willing to say that 2020 Packers team had what it took. They just didn't get it done when it mattered. Yeah. And I think that's fair. I think there's obviously to me, they're not going to be underdogs to anyone. Maybe it's like what a point or two underdog or whatever in a game, but they're not going to be underdogs to anyone next season. I think they can compete with anyone in the NFC. I'd be shocked if they didn't win the NFC North. I am hesitant to say that like, you know, all this attention has been put on while they're, they're, you know, bringing the band back together and you know, they're going to be able to go out and compete. Like, I think one of the low key, most underrated aspects of last season was their depth and their effectiveness of their offensive line. And having guys like Rick Wagner, Billy Turner, Elton Jenkins, David Bakhtiari, Lucas Patrick, Corey Lindsley. Remember Lane Taylor started the season. John Runyon Jr. Came in at time, like the, the, the massive amount of depth and talent that they had on that old line to go out and compete game in and game out. That to me was a strength of that offense and that team as a whole. And to lose Corey Lindsley, to lose Rick Wagner. And to this point, I know he didn't play other than like a half of football last year, but at this point, Lane Taylor as well. Um, your depth is certainly stretched at this point. And then, oh, by the way, Bakhtiari still is recovering from a torn ACL as well. Who knows if he's ready to start the season? Even if he does, who knows at what point he looks like David Bakhtiari again. So I do think that it's there's a, still a major question mark out there about the overall talent and depth of this offensive line. And to be fair, I think if everyone's healthy and you told me that next week they were going out with a starting offensive line of David Bakhtiari, Elton Jenkins, Lucas Patrick, John Runyon Jr. and Billy Turner, I'd say, you know what? I feel pretty good about that starting lineup. And I think that that's a very, very quality offensive line. Um, but anyone basically behind that, whether it's a Ben Braden, a Simon Stepaniak, a Jake Hansen, a Yash Nijman, I don't have any faith in. So I do still think there's work to do, especially along that offensive line. Yeah. You know, I think heading into the season on paper, 
there were, you know, certainly some concerns and some doubts about the depth and young players that were unproven and the speculation of saying, if he goes down, what happens? And there is no way to feel good about, obviously, uncharted, unproven, unknown players, especially not having a preseason and having a couple rookies back there and really not knowing what you had. But you knew you had a team coming off an NFC championship appearance that really didn't address you know, losing a franchise right tackle. Um, so I think some people said, hey, this team's going to be competitive again. What happens if X, Y, and Z go down? Are they prepared? And some didn't feel like they prepared for those kind of worst case scenarios that we know depth is often tested in the NFL. So um, for a team coming off that NFC championship appearance to not really add any sort of veteran presence or insurance policies outside of Rick Wagner and the little flyer on uh, Veld here, I think it just made some very, you know, valid concerns. But now looking now that the season's to bed, wildly impressed with what Lucas Patrick did last year. Wildly impressed with the spot duty of John Runyon, a sixth round pick that was a tackle in college. You know, wildly impressed with the versatility of Elton Jenkins. So the opportunities are exciting too, Andy, because that's where you find out somebody can be a star. And, you know, we talk about that in Philly a lot. Hey, Brian Dawkins was down for a year. Well, that's when we found Quentin Michael can play or Michael Lewis. And so, you know, when stars go down and young guys are thrusted in, that's an opportunity to find a gem and a young player too. So um, it's uncharted, which is scary, but I think it's a really exciting proposition that some of these guys got some experience and it looked pretty good last year. Yeah, it did. And, you know, kudos to Adam Stenovich as well as Luke Butkus for really uh, preparing those guys. I thought the jump that that offensive line took from 2019 to 2020 was better than any other position group. I thought Jenkins took a jump. I thought Bakhtiari played better. I thought Lindsley had his best, uh, you know, uh, season of his career. I thought Patrick was by far better. As you mentioned, John Running Jr., like even Billy Turner. If you would have told me that Billy Turner looked good playing right tackle going into last season, I would have said there's no way. I, I thought through and through, he was a guard. I know he's had time at tackle before. I just didn't think he was ever that impressive. I thought he looked, I thought it looked like his best position was right tackle a season ago, which is, I still can't believe it. <laughs> he doesn't look like the traditional NFL tackle. He looks like a refrigerator wearing cleats out there. And there's a couple guys in this draft class that look like that, you know, whether it's like the Christian Derisaws of the world, that barrel chest, we're like, there's no way this guy's going to hang out the tackle position. And he gets the job done. And he's another one. Billy Turner was just a guy impressed me. I had my doubts about him hanging on a full season off the edge and he just showed up and did his job week in and week out. And um, I think the other side of that is the offensive approach and the scheme keeps the defense so off balance. I think it's a really advantageous uh, position to play uh, on this Green Bay offensive line just because of the way they were attacking defenses last year, too. No, that makes, that makes very good sense. And I don't, you know, I don't know. And we didn't discuss this ahead of time. So no worries if you don't, do you remember um, your, any notes on Simon Stepaniak? Um, I didn't get to do a full um, review of him uh, last year. Cause I knew he was kind of going to be injured and stuff. So I didn't do uh, a ton of breakdown on him. That is now going to be going on my to-do list, but I'm wondering if you have any notes on Stepaniak from last season. I'm just trying to reflect off the top of my head really fast. I know he had a really good workout at either combine or the pro day. I think he put up 41 reps of 225. really nasty mauling finishing type of uh, offensive guard really looked for work. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. 
Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I think there was a highlight of him, you know, smashing uh, defensive ends and nose tackles when he was uncovered. And that's about the extent of what I remember. Also, just the fact he was coming off an injury. So that same boat, I probably didn't go as deep as I should have. Yeah, that's, that's going to be my homework assignment now that I kind of say it out loud and think about it. I want to do a little bit more on him. But you brought up uh, Christian Derrissaw, which is funny. I actually saw some Billy Turner and his him as well. I want to get to him in just a moment. But I think sometimes we do uh, these breakdowns, and especially here on the podcast, and we always don't, don't always necessarily take the time to kind of review what it is that we're looking for when we're watching some of these prospects. So, Ben, I was hoping that you could kind of just share with us really quick, you know, when you're watching offensive tackles, and we know, of course, that there's different schemes that these tackles play in and, and they may fit with some teams and not others, but just kind of in general, what, when you start watching offensive tackles on tape, what are some of the key things that you're keen in on um, when evaluating? Credit Karma has always been there to help you make better financial decisions. And now they want to help you even more. With a Credit Karma money spend account, you can be rewarded for good money habits. Credit Karma money is a brand new checking account where you can win cash reimbursements for making purchases. Just pay with your debit card and if you win, You'll be notified on the spot and your Instant Karma cash will be added back to your spend account. Open your FDIC insured spend account for free. There's no minimum balance requirements, no overdraft fees, and free withdrawals from a network of over 50,000 ATMs. And when you make a purchase between June 8th and June 30th, you'll automatically be entered to win $1 million. Right now, visit creditkarma.com backslash win money to open your free account and start winning Instant Karma. Go to creditkarma.com backslash win money to sign up for free and start winning. That's creditkarma.com slash win money. Instant Karma is sponsored by Credit Karma. No purchase necessary. Exclusions and terms apply. See rules. Banking services provided by MVB Bank Incorporated. Member FDIC. Maximum balance and transfer limits apply. Yeah, that's a great question. I don't think uh, we really dive into the nuts and bolts of what you're looking at within these players enough this time of year. Uh, the players obviously dominate the conversation, but right. I think it's important to always kind of go back to the foundation of what you're watching. And offensive tackles, there's a couple of major pillars I'm looking for, particularly balance. These are 300 pounds, generously, 300 pound athletes moving left, right, north, south, a lot of times retreating when better athletes are coming at you. You have to have exceptional balance and control over your body. You're moving quickly. You're reacting quickly, swiftly, violently, and in a weird way, patiently as well. So all that in combination with sometimes 320, 330, maybe even bigger, like 360, like Makai Becton, you have to be able to control those movement patterns and have control of your body. And that's balance. And a lot of times that's whether you can keep yourself within your frame 
never being sloppy over your toes on the ground. Offensive linemen that are on the ground typically have poor balance. One of the other thing, offensive tackles that I love to watch is the FBI, that football intelligence, such a fast moving game. And in that trenches there, things happen even faster. So you have to be able to process things, have that pre-snap intelligence, assess the moving parts in a split second post-snap, which is very tough to do in combination with trying to get something done physically. So it's such a mental aspect in that game too. And Andy, we watch a lot of tapes on Sundays and Mondays. Offensive linemen lose mental reps more than anything. Missing assignments, missing a post-snap movement, things like that. If you don't have the mental side down, you're not even positioned to win the fight. Jason so I think Briggs is all you need. A thousand, thousand percent. Yep. <laughs> um, and just some other natural stuff. We obviously want strong hands. We obviously want quick feet. We want guys that are strong, jolt defenders on contact. But just in a very collective sense, I need competitive guys. This is a tough, selfless position. You're getting punched in the face while having to get your job done. You don't get to say, excuse me, ref, can we take a timeout while I'm getting punched in the face? This is illegal. You have to keep punching. You're going to get your hand, their hands up in your throat. They're going to be up in your face. They're going to be grabbing you. They're going to be clawing at your mouth. You don't get to do anything but keep fighting. You need to be competitive. You got to like that. You got to want that fight. You got to be okay with getting punched in the nose and keep throwing punches. And that's all just being competitive. You cannot have anybody that's soft up front. Soft mentally always translates to soft physically. So a couple things right there, the balance, the mental processing, and that competitive edge, very important. Yeah, balance is always one on my list as well. It doesn't matter how physically gifted you are. If you can't stay on balance and you can't stay square square to the defensive linemen or edge rushers, it's definitely going to make things really tough. And I'm always counting how many times they're on the ground, unless it's a, a pancake where they threw the guy down and piled on top of them. I'm not <laughs> going to be too upset at that. Other than that, uh, really tough to block people when you're on the ground. Or the um, occasional cut block going low. Yeah, but, fair enough, yeah. fair enough, fair enough. Um, uh, also looking at that demeanor as well, you know, it, it, it's a little bit overplayed. Um, you mentioned some of the football intelligence, but I want somebody that plays through the whistle, especially on those interior guys. I know we're talking tackles here more, but uh, I love seeing people who have that, that just kind of nasty through the whistle, but not too nasty demeanor. And Mm -hmm. like you said, if they get punched in the face, it just makes them want to punch the other guy back harder. Um, I'm also under, under control bully is how an offensive line coach once told me because reckless bullies are the ones that get punched in the face by the nerd and knocked out. But you need to be an under control bully. And that I think is a really interesting way to look at it because the sloppy out of control bullies are the ones that are going to get put on their butt by the smaller guy. No, that's a really great point as well. And then the other thing, I'm always looking for anyone, um, especially at offensive tackle, that bends too much at the waist. I just feel like it's uh, it's such a fatal flaw for offensive tackles. And I personally, and maybe you have a name that you can think of, I can't think of anyone who was a terrible waist bender in college and then they got to the NFL and they just, it wasn't a problem anymore. Like Morgan Moses was a little bit, he like he had the issue in college and he's been mostly effective in the NFL to some extent, but like those guys who bend at the waist and it, it all kind of goes back to balance a little bit, but um, it just seems that they get out of position, lunge way too much. And it just, it sets them up at such a disadvantage and it's such a tough te- thing to unteach. So that's definitely one of my lists. And then I, I don't know about you, Ben, but for me, I've really changed my way. And even in the last couple of years or so 
of what I was, what I'm kind of looking for in offensive tackles. I'll be the first to admit, I really liked some of the the quicker, more agile offensive tackles. You know, even Jason Spriggs comes to mind, although I always did kind of see some of the mental issues on tape. And that was always a bit of a concern. Andre Dillard's another name, and we haven't really got a real great chance to evaluate him because um, he had the injury last season at, at when he was expected to take over at left tackle. But um, those are some of the guys that I've liked in the past, but with the way that the NFL's changed and more of the physical edge rushers, like your Zadarius, Smiths for, you know, one example, who are trying to get from point A to point B the quickest and go through the offensive tackle rather than around them. And, and just the way that teams are set up in this, especially in this Matt LaFleur offense where they're doing some of the, the zone stretch and they're trying to be more physical at the point of attack. And now you're adding in some of the jet sweeps, the motions, the play actions, the bootlegs. Defensive ends just can't tee off the way that a lot of times they could in the past, I feel like as well. And, and I almost want more of the, the guys who are a little bit more physical, guys that can anchor a little bit better, the guys aren't that, that are not going to be susceptible to a bull rush and the guys that can actually move people in the running game. So in the last couple seasons I've really changed my kind of thought process on what type of offensive tackle and and kind of looked more for those bigger more physical mauling type players well I think it's important to have a preference and I I like that as you're becoming a more uh you know proficient film watcher and having these projectional thoughts on positions you can't have there's 64 starting tackles every Sunday (laughs) they're not all going to be hall of fame perfect prospects of perfect speed perfect strength perfect length so you got to start figuring out if I get put some chips in a certain category, what am I more okay with than another category? Cause you're not going to be able to fill up every category with all the chips here. So it's every position and every category has pros and cons to it. So I love just that assessment of saying, you know what? The athletic version I think is the one I would like. And then to give up a little bit of the liability will be the strength against power rushers and being able to anchor. But the, Scheme flexibility that athletic tackles provide, I think, is tremendous. So I'm right with you. I want a guy that's a little bit more quicker and nimble off the edge there. Yeah, no, totally fair. All right, so let's break down four of these offensive tackles today that could potentially be around at pick 29 um, when Green Bay selects. They may need to move up for maybe a couple of these names. We'll see. It's always tough to completely gauge at this point, but let's start with Christian Derrissaw, who you mentioned earlier. Um, you know, Virginia Tech offensive tackle has played some left tackle, played some right tackle, definitely shows some of those physical traits. What was your initial assessment on Derrissaw? Well, he's one of those guys, like we said before, really doesn't look the part of a tackle, but he gets the job done very thick through the core barrel chest. Uh, But he's a guy that plays exceptionally balanced. He is that definition of the under control bully. His profile does not look like he's going to be good in space, but he will pull. He'll smash defensive ends. He'll climb to the second level. He'll get up to the third level and walk safeties another 20 yards down the field. They'll get him out in space. He's a big guy. But he's very under control, rarely sloppy, rarely outside his frame, very easy mover, very easy to move defensive linemen and jolt them out of position, Uh, very strong hands and that powerful lower half. Now, some of the negatives, his processing, his FBI, his adjustments after the snap, doesn't always see blitzers and some movements and defensive ends slanting in front of his face. He's not the most explosive player. And, you know, that's kind of the give and take with being that big barrel chest guy that moves people. He just doesn't always get out of the blocks particularly fast. And with those hands, they're strong, but I think the location is very inconsistent. Sometimes he gets into a little bit of a hugging mode or what we call wide hands outside the frame of that uh, defensive player he's trying to block. But you got to love his just kind of baseline traits and uh, size and strength. 
The thing I liked about some of those weaknesses, because you could definitely see all the things that you just mentioned, but there's definitely moments on tape where, you know, they're, they're bringing a stunt or they're blitzing someone and he was able to pick it, you know, pick it up, excuse me. Um, they're, you know, just even some of the, um, the, the hand placement, yes, it's, it's all over at times, but there's also times where he executes it to near perfection. And again, those heavy hands, I thought he had very violent hands where, you know, it, when he hit on the right spot and with his power, you could see the, uh, the opposing defensive lineman or edge rusher that they were, you know, disjointed from uh, what he was able to kind of bring to the table. So uh, I, I really liked him uh, overall as a prospect. What, what, how did you feel about his recovery speed? That was one thing that I had a question mark. Like if it was a speed rusher along the edge, there were a couple of times where it almost seemed like he got caught in mud and didn't necessarily have the ability to recover. Um, you probably watched a little bit more than I did. And I don't know if you caught me a little bit more of that maybe than, than I did when watching it. Yeah, I kind of just wrote down nuggets real fast. My cons are processing, FBI, recovery, not most explosive, wide hands. So that recovery right in the middle there, I probably skipped over initially, but completely agree with you. And he's probably not a guy I would want with a play-extending quarterback. So he's a guy that's going to give you three and a half, four seconds of good play, but just struggles with the the redirecting, the reacting to counter moves, just staying latched late into the down if quarterbacks are running around improvisationally. And I think that all kind of alludes to the same way, that recovery, the ability to go one way, re react to the other way, stay locked to that defender. Um, and I think that just comes with being a little bit of a, a more of a heavy set type of tackle prospect. Yeah, that makes sense. So the last thing I'll say on him, I did like some of his agility to get to the second level. I think you actually posted a couple clips of him clearing out a couple linebackers and safeties um, off the screen. Um, also, you know, I, I felt like he was rarely holding and rarely on the ground as well. So, um, you know, you will, and oh, the other thing too, he, he definitely, I felt got better from 27 or 2018 to 2019 to 2020 each season, which you like to see that consistent improvement from a player like him as well. He was actually high school teammates with the Boston College left tackle, who's a massive player, Zion Johnson, who transferred from yeah. Davidson. I need to see what that offensive line looked like in high school. Just have two nearly 300-pound guys in high school. Oof. Look out. Yeah, that'd be uh, that'd be a fun offensive line to run run uh, behind, I should say. All right, let's move to uh, Tevin Jenkins. What was your uh, eval on Tevin? Yeah, he's really interesting. And Tevin reminds me a lot of like a Brian Bulaga. Another guy that maybe not doesn't look the part, not the longest torso, not the most angular looking guy, but a guy that just seemingly gets the job done. And same kind of conversation as a Darisol and a Billy Turner with that kind of thick barrel chest and a really strong core. Very easy mover. Now, Tevin Jenkins, the other side, is nasty. He's got some real finishing traits. He wants to crush the soul out of defenders. He's a heavy handed guy, too. Now, some of the issues with him, again, not the quickest off the ball, kind of short arms in the profile. And with that nasty finishing trait, he almost gets into finishing mode too early. It's like he's lunging, he's attacking, he's a little too aggressive, trying to shoot over his toes and really get his hands on defenders as opposed to just playing within his space and allowing defenders to come to him, which I think is correctable. And the same thing with kind of Darisaw and these other over-aggressive guys. I would rather the guy that's too aggressive and dial him back 
than the soft guy and trying to ramp him up. And I think that's what most player developers and scouts would prefer. Uh, just the guy that you can dial back a little bit, but Tevin Jenkins is really interesting. He stepped up this year uh, when Oklahoma state's left tackle decided to retire about two weeks before the season. Tevin started at left tackle and went back to his right tackle position for the rest of the season was a captain was a leader. Um, and he's a guy that's just so unsuspecting. I think his body looks great. I don't think he looks like this mauling, you know, athletic specimen with his big frames in his picture. And he kind of looks like a, a nice kid and a good smile, but he will finish you and he will take your soul uh, right out of your chest. Yeah. I think a couple notes that I had seen people post, like it looks like the guy that you as a defensive end, like you're just drooling to match up with him in a game. And then all of a sudden you play him and you're immediately regretting that initial assessment. And I think it was Brett Coleman who, uh, who tweeted out that he or we had the report of he looks like Brian Bulaga with rabies. And I think as you were mentioning, like he kind of looks like a Brian Bulaga, but as you mentioned, sometimes a little bit out of control, definitely a little bit more of a punisher and a finisher. So I think some of that rabies is like a good news, bad news. I think he plays with a bit more intensity, uh, but also, you know, a little bit more maybe out of control at times. And, you know, Brian Bulaga was just the picture of consistency week in and week out. You knew exactly what you were going to get. Um, but I really like another thing, actually, that Bulaga was fantastic at that he didn't always get the credit for. He was fantastic at timing up the snap perfectly. And you saw a little yeah. bit of that uh, from Tevin Jenkins as well, which was impressive. Um, like this, do you prefer the the big initial kick out wide within the choppy steps or do you prefer a smaller step? And then like, uh, what, what's your preference when you're watching offensive tackles? I want smaller choppy steps. I think you're, you're, you have the ability to stay under control a little bit better, but if they're small and choppy, they need to be that much faster. I find the guys that fire out with the giant step have a habit of oversetting a little bit because of how violent and how big that first initial step is. And I've actually come to a very interesting realization last year studying Makai Becton. Now, okay. not everybody is the size of Makai Becton, <laughs> but Makai played with a staggered stance with his outside foot as a left tackle already in that first step position. So it was really interesting that he really didn't have to take kick steps because his first leg was already out there. He pretty much just stood up and raised up in that spot. Um, but uh, that was something that Jedrick Wills, I thought, struggled with. He just flew out so hard. Inside moves came all the time. Now he was able to react to it um, and, and close that off. But I just think it opens up the the idea and the threat of just violently moving one way leaves you vulnerable to redirect and get back uh, fast enough. Yeah. you got. But we've seen enough. We've seen enough goods. You know, we've seen Lane Johnson, you know, dominate, you know, for 10 years playing like that too. Yeah. You got to be technically sound, really good with your hands. And like you said, fast with your feet, if you want to play that way. Um, And the big thing, Andy, is you just can't be in the major problem. And this is what big Duke Mannyweather told me when Spriggs was drafted after year one, after year two, and after year three, <laughs> he said he had he has a movement pattern flaw. He immediately on his third step, his hips are to the sideline. So whether you want to talk short steps, big steps, firing out hard, whether you want to talk 45 degree sets, flat sets, quick sets, jump sets, you have to be square to the line of scrimmage for your first three or four steps. So whether, whether, however big the strides you want them to be, I take back all my answers. I don't really care. You got to stay square though. And that allows you to be in a good position to fight the inside moves, outside moves, and obviously the bull rush right at you. 
Fair enough. Um, I did like that Jenkins had kind of a couple of different, uh, you know, approaches. He could take the small choppy steps. He also had the the big outside step from time to time mm-hmm. as well. Seemed like he kind of changed it up, um, would flash early hands and then kind of, you know, faint what he was actually going to do with his hands. So looked like he was kind of playing with defenders at times. Um, I, I really liked his overall demeanor. I think he's a really fun prospect. And if he was there at 29, I certainly wouldn't hate Green Bay selecting him at that point either. Um, just a really fun player overall. Let's move to Jalen Mayfield from uh, University of Michigan, certainly a a college where Green Bay's uh, got some players from recently. Um, Redshirt sophomore, if memory serves, definitely think he profiles more as a right tackle. Um, What were your thoughts on Mayfield? Well, he's really interesting. Uh, He's only a junior. Um, Didn't play a whole lot in 2020. I think he started two games, uh, but he played all 2019 and some games in 2018. But this is a really interesting prospect. He's probably one of the more raw, uh, kind of undeveloped, unrefined offensive linemen in this class. I thought he should have gone back and gotten a little bit more experience. Uh, he's going to be 21 years old this coming May, so he's a very young player. This is a thick frame, bubble butt, tree trunk leg type of offensive tackle. That is a reason why some are projecting him, obviously, at right tackle, but maybe sliding into guard yeah. uh, just to let him get bigger and be, uh, you know, a brute strong type of player. He's powerful, great kind of grip and torque. So he gets his hands on you and he can move you and control you. Put on that uh, Minnesota tape. He gets his hands on that edge player. And you just see the torque with the inside arm and literally puts him right on the ground, I think three or four plays. So you're able to see that uh, real power in his upper half. But he's another guy that's 320 pounds of really good body control and balance, can run his feet on contact. He's not really a momentum mover, which you really have to assess when you're watching offensive linemen, ones that are putting their feet into the ground on each step and calculatingly moving defenders from the ground up as opposed to ones that are winding up and just kind of running your 300-pound frame into another human being. So that that looks like if the defender moves, you fall on your face. When you're coordinated and balanced and you have your cleats in the ground, when the defender moves, you're still on your feet and square and balanced. So he's a guy that is able to get movement from the ground up with each coordinated step. His hands are consistent and tight. He's not a hugger. He's got good redirect. Not always that quick out of his stance. Um, he's a little heavy legged at time. Didn't really get to show off any sort of athletic profile on that offense. They didn't pull him a whole lot. They didn't get him out in the screen game or do anything cool on the perimeter. And in my opinion, I think his feet and his pass sets are all over the place. He's a guy that will come up with new techniques like every other drive. Um, but he's young, he's raw, and he can survive with some raw tools. So that's kind of exciting and problematic in the same sense. So um, a lot to like about him. He won't be a guy for every type of scheme, um, but he's young. and I think still moldable if I know him right. Yeah. The, if you, if you're hoping as a Packer fan that the Packers will take Jalen Mayfield, the good news is, is that he's, as you mentioned, he's very young. Green Bay likes going premium position type players in the first round. Offensive tackle certainly fits that. They like usually going young. Darnell Savage, Jair Alexander, Kenny Clark. Seems like the younger, the better a lot of these times. I think, um, yeah, all of them were, were very, very young. Obviously, just took Rashawn Gary in the first round from Michigan. So there's a lot of things to like. On the, on the downside, if you're uh, hoping, or in, I guess on the upside, if you're not hoping that he's a Packer, um, they usually very, very much care about the agility drills, the three cone, the short shuttle for their offensive tackles, especially and really all across the offensive line, although they went a little bit out of the norm for Elton Jenkins. But 
Um, he did not test the greatest on some of those agility drills, which is usually um, mostly a hard pass for Green Bay. So I, I, I th- it seems like he would be very rich at 29 for Green Bay, especially for their liking. Um, he definitely would fit a little bit more towards their guard profiles. And if all of a sudden he was there in, in the second round, I think that Green Bay would probably be very intrigued by his potential at that point. But um, I, I, it kind of feels like he might be in no man's land for where Green Bay is selecting right now. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think people are really trying to figure out where he's going to go. It'll probably take a team to really fall in love with him to take him in the first round, in my opinion. I think he's kind of a bona fide day two player, but yeah. maybe they get the uh, the right endorsement from a John Runyon and he tells them, hey, this guy's something special and uh, we go get him. Yeah, that, that Minnesota tape that you mentioned, I thought was some of his best tape. And then you go back and look at Ohio State against uh, the, the Chase Youngs of the world, although mm-hmm. Chase Young will make a lot of players look not so great. So, no, we have Ben Breeden too from Michigan, but I think he was out of Michigan by the time uh, Mayfield was there. Yeah, I think that's right. All right, let's uh, go to our last one for today, and that's uh, Liam Eichenberg from Notre Dame. I think this is a really interesting player and probably the one on this list that I kind of go back and forth on the most and can't really temper my – um, whether he's a draft crush or I'm a hard pass. I can't – I can't – I'm in the middle, Ben, so convince me. Well, Liam Eichenberg is really interesting because he is so boring. He doesn't (laughs) have any exceptional qualities to get excited about, whether it's – you know, freakish athleticism, freakish strength, freakish finish and the nasty, you know, freakish frame, size, length. So he doesn't have anything that really gets you up in your chair. But this guy is as technically sound, as sturdy and as consistent as any tackle in this class. That goes for Penny Sewell, Walker Little or whoever else you want to find up and down this uh, pecking order of the draft class. He just you know what you're getting down to down to down with Liam Eikenberg, a uh, very strong player. He's athletic enough. Um, he's really only played that left tackle. Some of the issues I have with him, you know, he shoots out a little high out of his kick sets. Um, he's got short arms. He doesn't have that finishing element that I want from offensive linemen. He's a two-handed puncher, uh, which is problematic at times. You got to have independent hand usage at the next level, just for a fan's perspective, put two hands out and you have somebody swipe, you can knock down two hands. And when you have one hand out and somebody swipes, you can only knock down one hand. So you don't want to give them two hands to uh, knock down. So the two-handed puncher is somewhat problematic at the next level, but he can correct that. But he fits the same profile as Anthony Costanza, who was a first-round pick out of Boston College, just retired after 10 years. Mitchell Schwartz, which I would encourage everybody, go look at Mitchell Schwartz's Twitter feed, and he gave his <laughs> uh, own self-scouting report on uh, – his own play. And it is not very inspiring despite being a four-time all pro offensive tackle. Same thing as Leon Eichenberg. So boring, but you watch three, four, five games and you sit back in your chair and you say, nobody sniffed the quarterback to his side. They ran the heck out of the football. Ian book did not play on time. That guy ran around for days and tried to make everything out of structure and improvisationally. So that means he had a block for four five, six seconds at time. Um, really, really impressive body of work. And I think my favorite thing about him, Andy, he got poked in the eye or punched in the eye against Florida state had to miss a couple drives, got back in there and finished the game with a giant knot on his eye. So that's the type of guy you're getting with Liam Eikenberg. Uh, you know, a guy that's going to show up and not quit on his team. 
When when Brian Bulaga was drafted with Green Bay, the, the running joke was that this just looks like the Packers offensive lineman for a decade. Like it just it was <laughs> perfect. Like Liam Eikenberg has that same type of thing where if he's up on the draft podium holding up that Packers jersey, everyone's gonna be like, Yeah, that was that <laughs> there's some guys, the most- Andy, where it's like they play outdoors in college, they're in the Midwest, it's very gray, they play in that natural grass field out there at South Bend. You just kind of get the feel of like I could see him in a Packers jersey, whether it's Michigan or whether it's Northwestern or those kind of just Midwestern teams that play outside. You're like, okay, I bet he could hang up in Lambeau. He'll be okay. No, totally. Um, I always <laughs> try to go back and look at like, all right, when I'm trying to figure out where they go in the draft, you know, when I kind of compare him to like an Ezra Cleveland, I know Cleveland like, you know, moved inside. They're not like exact apples to apples, but I think Eichenberg is a better prospect than what Ezra Cleveland was a season ago. I think what Cleveland went like early to mid seconds, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so to me, like that would be um, Eichenberg's floor here. And I, I think you're spot on more with like the Costanzo type uh, type reference where I think he was a late first if memory serves. So yeah, the other thing you look at is under Brian Kelly, his left tackles, Zach Martin, Ronnie Staley, Mike McGlinchey, and now Liam Eichenberg. So um, those guys have mostly turned out pretty okay so far. Not a bad group to be in. Yeah, pretty impressive group out of Notre Dame. Typically a, a group you can trust, very NFL ready. ready. And, uh, you know, the big thing about Eichenberg, just those short arms. But, you know, I'm not a big believer of the athletic and measurable threshold for tackles. I could find you a guy with long arms that can't play a lick. And I can find you a guy with short arms that will be a Hall of Famer. So I think it's very dangerous to kind of uh, peg and create those thresholds before you really assess the player. Yeah, it's, it's all about how they win. If they are if they need to win based off of athleticism, I mean, it's just uh, different offensive linemen win in a variety of different ways. And um, there's certainly, you know, Jason Spriggs is a freaking awesome example of that will bring him No up question. Super strong player that couldn't play a lick. I mean, the Raven Clark, I think, was a second-round yeah. pick to the Colts out of Texas Tech. He had arms down to his ankles, but he was a waistbender. So he didn't know how to functionally use them. And if you don't know how to functionally use your body and your ability, it doesn't matter what you have. Yeah. Great, great point. Great stuff today. Um, kind of quick thoughts as we kind of exit out here, Ben, um, any of these offensive tackles that we discussed today that you think would ultimately fit best in green Bay or that you'd like to see donning green and gold? You know, I think Liam Eikenberg is, would be a really good fit as we were just talking there. I think there's some guys that are flying a little bit under the radar. If they don't go tackle in the first or second round that are very experienced, whether that's like Alaric Jackson, who's been a left tackle at Iowa for 42 starts, or Carson Green at Texas A&M, who has nearly 3,000 snaps. I'm in love with Brady Christensen out of BYU, who our buddy Big Duke Mannyweather, who's been working with offensive linemen, has said he reminds him a lot of who? David Bakhtiari. Yeah. And I think that would be a great fit, really athletic profile, good zone scheme, plays out in space quite often, tested through the roof. But what's the issue? Short arms. But he's another guy that when you have a consistent punch tight inside, technically sound, we can survive with short arms. And then the six to eight monsters, the six, seven, six, eight monsters are starting to get some love. Storm Forsyth out of Florida, Tommy Doyle out of Miami, Ohio. I don't know if they fit the Packers, but maybe a uh, day three type of flyer on those players. Yeah, just really quick. I didn't get I've only watched like a game and a half of them so far, so I'm still working on them. But um, did you think uh, Dylan Redunds from ND State um, has the ability to play tackle or see more? He he reminded me just on first glance of a a Cody Whitehair from K-State. Very similar athletic profile um, size. Um, I think he might need to kick inside kind of like Whitehair did, but I'm curious your thoughts on him. That's a, I haven't heard that comp uh, or I haven't heard that comparison to uh, 
Cody Whitehair, but I think that's a great fit. Our buddy Greg Cosell said he reminds him of Mitch Morse, okay. who played tackle at Missouri, day one with the Chiefs, center, and has really been a center ever since. So Ray Dunes is in that same conversation. I think he'd, he can hang at tackle, would probably prefer him at guard. Uh, I don't know if I necessarily see the center projection quite yet, but he's a guy with short arms, not the most athletic guy, really good power. Down at the Senior Bowl, he played a lot of guard. They pulled him. He looked pretty comfortable in there. So I thought that was a really good uh, little flash of what he could show you. Yeah, he's an intriguing player as well. Um, Really thought he played well in that one game uh, that they played this season. Um, So, yeah, I'm excited to watch him a little bit more. Ben, phenomenal stuff as always. Where can we follow you on Twitter and what are you kind of working on right now? Uh, the last uh, the last push to our draft coverage here, NFL Network. Looks like I'll be out in Cleveland in a couple of weeks. Pretty excited to get back on the road. Uh, in the meantime, be sure to watch Path of the Draft, you know, each night on NFL Network. Follow Daniel Jeremiah, all of our guys over at uh, NFL Network as well for their content. And just uh, really excited for this last push. About three weeks left, uh, uh, the home stretch, And it's just a uh, really exciting time because the second the draft ends, we're going to assess all the picks. And then it's on to 2022 and it's the gift that keeps on giving. And next year's draft class. So exciting with all these super seniors and guys returning. I cannot wait to turn the page. So uh, give me a follow over at Ben Fennel underscore NFL on Twitter. Uh, In the meantime, Andy, what do we normally say? As always go pack. Go. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's U-N-I-F-Y-D healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.